Hello, and welcome to another episode of our 20-Minute Playbook series, where each week I sit down with an elite performer from iconic founders to world-renowned investors and best-selling authors to dive into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies that got them to the top of their field, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I'm joined by Melind Mahir, co-founder and CEO of Yield Street. As you'll hear, Melind's background is fascinating. Before founding Yield Street in 2014, Melind founded and scaled several other companies, including Yodel, which he scaled to $220 million in annual revenue before being acquired by Web.com. Over the last eight years, Yield Street has built one of the largest private investment platforms in the world. To date, they've brought on over 377,000 members that have invested more than $1.5 billion, and Yield Street has paid out over $196 million in interest alone. In this episode, Malin shares why he's been fascinated with blockchain and the problems it can solve, including KYC for platforms like Yield Street, why his superpower is adaptability, and how that's helped him as a serial entrepreneur. He shares some of his favorite books, including Leadership and Self-Deception and The Richest Man in Babylon, as well as why he loves the phrase, be bright, be brief, be gone, and why if he could go back in time, he'd tell his younger self to take even more risks. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 115. That's 115. And you can follow Melind Mahir on Twitter at Melind Mahir. That's M-I-L-I-N-D-M-E-H-E-R-E. With that, let's dive in and learn from Melind's Peak Performance Playbook. Melind, welcome back to Outlier Academy. I'm thrilled to have you on uh, to for the 20-minute playbook section of your interview. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I want to start, we always ask people if they can share a recent fascination. What has been fascinating you? What can you not stop thinking about? I think uh, my recent fascination has been uh, blockchain. And applicable, it's a little geeky, but blockchain and the impact of blockchain on private markets and what can it do for private markets. And so I can't stop talking about that. I'll give you simple examples, right? We speak a lot about uh, needing accreditation to ensure that you're the right investor, right? So think about a concept of passport. Imagine if I accredited you on Yield Street, why can't you use that to invest in Fundrise or any anybody else? And even though they may be competitors, like there's no reason to have to do those uh, things again and again or title insurance in real estate. I think that's one of the biggest, like, I don't know why we should have that type of title insurance where you could have every government record and validate that online so that when I'm selling my apartment to you, you don't have to pay for it, right? It's already there on the blockchain. It's immutable. So there are so many use cases that could make our lives more efficient. And so I'm thinking about that a lot in terms of uh, what can blockchain do um, and what role it can play in private markets. Yeah, those are great examples. You know, I know a company, I know quite a few companies that are working on the KYC portion and basically minting an NFT that you can then use and take around, which is, you know, really powerful. I think it's it's, it's powerful. Uh when you think about business and leadership, what do you think of as your superpowers? So, you know, we talked about in the previous interview, you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, I imagine that there's things that have shown up in all of those uh, ventures that you've taken on. What are your superpowers and how do you use those daily? One of my superpowers is adaptability. So if you look at my career, I'm not an expert in one domain, right? And I've changed domains based on my passion. In order for you to do that, it's very important that you're adaptable. So you can learn things quickly. You can learn from your mistakes and your wins. 
And as an entrepreneur, you're making decisions very, very quickly on an everyday basis. So if you are adaptable and you can change uh, by processing information, by circumstances, by learning new things, then you can be successful and then you don't get kind of caught in your own ways and you're always evolving as a person. So I think that is kind of you know, super interesting for me. The other thing that you know, is a superpower is for me to you know, have this around the curve kind of vision, if you will, right? And it kind of sounds a little corny and can't be quantified, but I have a pretty good gut, as they say. And so I can kind of connect the dots easily. So with, you know, maybe the market movement or like investor feedback, whether it's business or personal, I, I think I can see around the corner. And I think that's an interesting way to, for again, for as an entrepreneur, as an executive, as a leader, uh, to be able to connect the dots is very important. Yeah, love those. Uh, what mentors or figures shaped your approach to business and leadership? You know, so as we've talked about your serial entrepreneur, has anyone made a mark on on you, left an impression on you that you've worked closely with over the years? Yes. So I'll go closely first. So I, I used to have a boss. Uh, since then, he is like an advisor, mentor. Name is uh, Rajiv Roy. Very, very efficient person. And I'm kind of uh, being an engineer. I'm both kind of combo of left brain, right, right brain super efficient he you know does so much and i'm always fascinated by the amount of things that he can get done and for a person like me who's very busy but want to get more out of life have eclectic taste it's very important to understand how you can be efficient how you can be productive so he really the the way he does things i always learn you know kind of lessons from 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 him and one of the things uh, he told me is that you have to really focus on what not to do versus what to do uh, and be very deliberate about the choices that you make uh, based on what is important and, and how can you prioritize those. So that's kind of a real life example. I think, listen, I have like all of us, many, many examples that, you know, uh, you could learn from. So Steve Jobs, amazing storyteller, amazing visionary. And, uh, you know, I can correlate that to Yield Street values, right? So be passionate. He was super passionate about the changes able to be, uh, to bring. Thomas Edison, vision without execution is hallucination. I think it's very important for startup founders because many of them have vision, but how do you translate that to education? So we have own and execute as one of our core values. Elon Musk, you know, who can name his son as a math equation? So very, very bold thinker, right? Who can challenge the mayor of Miami to say, hey, I'm going to build a, 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 a underground tunnel from Brickell to Miami in 30 million bucks. Whether he can do that or no, but at least to kind of put that stake out there. So as an entrepreneur, be bold. The email that he sent yesterday, right? It's like, okay, just like always challenging the status quo, but then rallying the team to get there. So there are all these examples that I think are, are really kind of fascinating for me. Yeah, I love those examples. Those are some fascinating ones. Is there a favorite quote or anecdote you have about being a founder? And this can be serious or hilarious, um, but you know, I think one of the things there is just, is there a quote you often find yourself repeating to yourself or sharing with others about what it means to be a founder and what it means to build a business? Be bright, be brief, be gone. <laughs> you probably got that from your mentor. <laughs> I know, right? Like... Uh... But that's a funny one. I, I said the vision without execution code is uh, is also some one of my favorite. Uh, adapt or die. Um, that is uh, uh, that is also something that you know startup founders have to constantly do. High growth companies have to constantly do. So those are a few of few of my one quotes that are my favorites. 
Those are great. If you could go back to the start of your career and whisper some advice, a reminder, words of wisdom in your ear, what would you tell yourself if you could go back in, in time? I would say take more risks. Right? I think what happens is earlier on in our careers, like we are like trying to establish our footing in the industry, in the, in the job that we are taking. And a lot of us kind of become conservative, but we don't realize that as life passes by, you're going to get more and more conservative. When you have your first mortgage, get married, have kids. And so earlier on your, in your career, uh, for somebody that has taken you know, quite a bit of risk, but uh, it, it's actually very important to do that. Uh, the other thing that I, I, would, I would say is that we also have to measure the, the, the risk that we are taking. Right? So I started my previous company uh, when my wife was in business school. Uh, we just recently had a baby. And you know, so like it just, it, you have to contextualize some of that. At that time, it might feel very, very difficult. But uh, those things always pass. There's always light, light at the end of the tunnel. So if you kind of, if I had that orientation and I had constantly had that orientation, I would have made you know, maybe some different choices. So I think that, that could be very interesting. Yeah. I love a serial entrepreneur telling himself that he should be taking more risks. <laughs> if he go back in time, I, I think that's amazing. If you had to distill down your philosophy of building a company into just a few words, what would that be? How about I start with letters? A, B, C, D. <laughs> Four letters. And we spoke about this earlier. Uh, so for me, A, B, C, D, what does that mean? A, always be well capitalized. B, build and hire talent. Without the team, there is nothing, right? You have to have the right people that believe in it. C, communicate the vision. So what's your true north? Why should people care about it? What is the impact you're going to have? Because that's what is going to rally the team. And last, D is delegation and decision-making. All of us, you know, I think those are two such important skills, but all of us kind of sometimes flounder with them. Right? Can we make quick decisions? Can we get delegate appropriately? And then I may throw in a bonus, which is E, can you do it with empathy? I think that's kind of important. And for me, it's, uh, you know, I'm very much like, you know, direct cut to the chase. I think sometimes that empathy is lost because we are moving so fast. We want to get stuff done faster. But how do you kind of bake that and be more conscious about how people are perceiving you and, and like, you know, uh, while you may have the uh, thoughts in the right place, it's very important that the team, you know, kind of gets that. So I think for me, that's the ABCD of building a good company. Those are great. ABCDE. And, and I love E. I mean, my, my experience with that is, I mean, most founders that I know are very direct and cut to the chase. I think the ones that get empathy right uh, are able to retain talent and kind of compound for much longer. And I think that that's an underrated fact of the power of empathy. <laughs> it's just, it keeps, you know, it keeps your team members there engaged, feeling like they're cared about while they're working on building this business. You know, and uh, Daniel, if I may actually uh, expand on that, that, that a little bit, listen, I think uh, one of the things that happens is that a lot of times, you know, if you are a Microsoft or a Facebook or a Google, Things are just happening for you because you're, you know, you kind of hit that product market fit and stride and you're becoming a leader. So you have a lot of cash to actually overcome a lot of flaws, whether it's in your founders, leadership team, in the company, inefficiency and all that, because the cash is always coming in. For a lot of us, our businesses have always challenges, right? Like because we are not the, the Google or the Microsoft, though we are great businesses. And so that's where empathy can be very valuable. Right. Because we model ourselves into like, hey, you know, even like the Elon Musk example I gave earlier is like, OK, great, because he's you know building very successful company in a completely different trajectory. You know, if I send that email 
I don't know whether my company would like really embrace that, you know, meaning like just because it's a different company, different ecosystem. And so I think the founders have to like be mindful of that um, to kind of understand what, what are the strengths that you have as a founder and a company that you're leading and it will not fit always uh, other circumstances. I think that's so well said. I, I want to ask now if there's a book, article, or paper that you love that you find yourself recommending. Uh, I know a lot of founders have books that you know they kind of use as a Bible or that kind of form an important part of how they think about the world. This can be about business. It can be fiction. It could be anything. What's a book, article, paper that you think more people should read? So this book I haven't read in a, in a few years, but Leadership and Self-Deception is a great book, Harbinger Institute. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I'm reading it uh, again, uh, actually, just uh, in the uh, this week. Uh, I've read it a couple times. It's very easy read over the weekend, two, three hours. Patrick uh, Lenconi, great book. When it comes to money, Richest Man in Babylon, fa- fascinating book. It's so simplistic, uh, you know, again, a weekend read, uh, but, but my favorite. Um, in terms of uh, article... So listen, American Aristocracy is a fascinating article in the Atlantic. It came out two, three years ago, um, Atlantic style, very long, but talks about impact of money uh, in a consumer's life in the U.S. And, uh, you know, and what, you know, how it creates chances for people and how you kind of, uh, you know, how people with means have so much greater power to succeed versus people without the means and, and stuff like that and how that has evolved in the last 50 years or so. Uh, really fascinating. Yeah, those are great. We, For anyone listening, we will get links to those. Those will all be included in the show notes. You can find those at outlieracademy.com. And that's a good reminder. I haven't read The Richest Man in Babylon in a long time. So I, I kind of want to dig that up and read that this weekend. Um, what tiny habit or practice has had the biggest positive impact in your life? Health-related, work-related, can be anything. What comes to mind? Yeah, I think from a habit perspective, uh, for 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 me it's really a simple thing it's just like a to- daily to-do list i'm a person who thrives on like you know ticking the box and sometimes you know uh, you get so busy but if you know that hey here are two or three things you need to do like you feel happy about my, uh, you know yourself so i think that is something uh, which is uh, which is very important for me the other thing is gratitude so uh, i think uh, we get so busy and you don't give enough gratitude. So I use this app called Delightful to write three things uh, that I'm ha- thankful to. I don't do it every single day, but I try to do it. Uh, I think it is really important. Uh, we also have a props channel. Again, I don't go there every day, but uh, uh, you know, if I'm there and I, that's on the Slack, and so you know, you say thanks to people that might have you know worked with you or done something you know on a real time basis. And I think that really is creates a lot of positivity because we're always you know. We're, bombarded with so much media negativity and like very polarizing situation. And, and so I think that's, uh, that's valuable to me. Yeah. Well, and you have a very high performing team, you know, that's, I imagine is very competitive. So I feel like you need to counterbalance that. And sometimes just leaving space or creating room for gratitude is a, is a great way to do that. Last question. What is your favorite way to waste an hour? What guilty pleasure do you wish you had more time for? So many, man. <laughs> <laughs> So many. I mean, like, listen, watch more sports, uh, you know, uh, just TV shows. I always feel that I'm like catching up, you know, I'm multiple years behind on some of the shows. And so finding time for that. Uh, one of the, the, the challenges I have is now with shows uh, with multiple seasons, right? Like it's like a 
once you get hooked on you're like committed for so many hours so like for me i'm always grappling between like should i even start it because you know once you start it like you know it's like you're going to get sucked in um so yeah i wish i could have more time for that yeah well amen i'm i'm with you and i have the same struggle it just feels like there's perpetually like 20 hours of things i want to watch and i have about 30 minutes a night <laughs> to try to get that in. Well, thank you so much for the time, Melind. Uh, everyone listening, you can learn more about Yield Street, which is the company Melind and his co-founder, Michael, have been building for the last seven years at yieldstreet.com. You can also download the Yield Street app um, on the App Store. Thank you so much for the time, Melind. It's been so much fun to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 115. That's 115. You can also follow Melind Mahir on Twitter at Melind Mahir. That's M-I-L-I-N-D-M-E-H-E-R-E. For more from Melind Mahir, listen to episode 1112, where he joins me on our Outlier Founder series to go deep on Yield Street. Yield Street was founded in 2014 and over the last eight years has built one of the largest private investment platforms in the world. They have over 377,000 members that have invested more than $1.5 billion, and Yield Street has paid out over $196 million in interest alone. In that episode, we cover why Alpha has evaporated from public markets over the last 20 years with the rise of indexing ETFs and automated investment strategies. Why private equity, venture capital, real estate, and private credit have exploded over that same time frame. Why the classic 60-40 portfolio is dead and how investors should rethink their approach to investing in public and private markets. How Yield Street built one of the world's largest investment platforms, bringing on investment managers and investors. And why Yield Street focus has always been on building what they call distribution infrastructure for investing and why they built a horizontal business straddling a bunch of smaller verticals instead of focusing on just one aspect of private market investing. You can find videos of this interview on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlieracademy. On our channel, you'll find all of our full-length interviews as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. So make sure to subscribe. We post new videos and clips every single week. And if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn under the handle Outlier Academy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here with a brand new episode next Friday.